My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello and welcome everybody. You're listening to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast, where we take you on a journey through Southern Appalachian history, one story at a time. I'm your host, Kimmy Ahrens, and we are getting ready to kick off the return of our Native Plant Week here at Foxfire. This is a five-day-long celebration of all things plants and their historic and cultural uses here in the mountains. For those of you who don't know, Southern Appalachia is one of the most biodiverse regions in the world. And Rabin County is actually, since it's the wettest county in Georgia, some years it actually classifies as a temperate rainforest. So we have a vast amount of different plants that grow and thrive here in this region. During Native Plant Week, we'll be bringing in herbalists and conservationists and um, even a farmer to talk about pollination and focusing also on the, again, historic uses and cultural uses still to this day of plants in this area. So we're pretty excited about that. And as part of Native Plant Week, for those of you who can't stop by the museum, we've got this podcast today that looks at nature and art. So I sat down with a traveling artist, Rosalie Hazlett, who came to the museum to check it out just because she was familiar with the books. And we got to talking about her work and she is actually a traveling artist and she's working on a six month long book project exploring the tiny worlds of Appalachia. So she's starting here in the Southern region. And then each month she's moving to a new spot along the Appalachian mountain range and going all the way north into Canada. And so her book will focus, like I said, on the tiny worlds that we tend to miss when we go out for a hike. So she is exploring critters and plants that thrive here in the mountains and kind of blowing them up um, using watercolor illustrations and talking about her observations. She's also done a lot of work with the Smithsonian. Um, She participated as an intern in their ginseng project. And then she's also worked as an artist in residence for the Great Smoky Mountains. She's done several other projects, most of them connected to nature, and I definitely recommend checking out her work. She does a beautiful job with her watercolor illustrations. So we're excited to provide this perspective on art and nature and how you make art in a career, really. So without further ado, I'll leave us to it, and I hope you enjoy. My name is Rosalie Hazlett, and I'm a nature artist and illustrator and newly an author. And I'm from West Virginia. I've lived there pretty much my whole life. I'm obviously very inspired by my natural surroundings, so I like to do a lot of place-based art where I go and I spend a few weeks or a month in a different location and just try to soak it all in and learn as much as I can about it and translate that into paintings. Mostly watercolor, some pen and ink, some gouache, which is like an opaque watercolor. So tell me more about West Virginia I and mean, growing up there. Where did you grow up and did you guys live in town or did you live out in a rural space? How did that influence your art as a kid? Yeah, I grew up on a farm in West Virginia and it's in the northern part of the state where it's mostly farmland and uh, pretty rural. There are some small towns. There are a lot of kind of steel towns that were built up along the Ohio River that are now 
kind of scrambling because the steel mills are pulling out and there's not a lot of industry left for to create jobs. So it's a pretty kind of sleepy area, but I think that growing up in a place that was I thought was super beautiful was definitely inspiring to me. And uh, I feel really lucky to have had the opportunity just to go out my back door and you know, explore and play and feel really safe in the outdoors. My sister Claire and I had a little club. I can't remember the exact name of the club, but we would go to this little meadow near our house and we would pretend that we were Olympic gymnasts and we would climb up on the trees and uh, just like have this whole safe world where we could just make up names for ourselves and just be silly and do tricks. It was just, <laughs> that's one of my like, it's a place that's still there, but when I can't really, when I go back, I, I can't get in the same mentality. It was definitely a special combination of being a little kid and that like creativity and also the place that we're working together to make it really magical. Claire and I are three years apart, but we're very, very much alike in a lot of ways. And uh, we also really like to collaborate on creative projects. So that's been really fun as we've grown into adulthood to continue to work together and use our different skills to do what we want to do. <laughs> and you're, you have other siblings, right? I do, yep. I have six siblings. And we're all doing very different things, but uh, we're, a, we're a fun crew. My whole family is very creative. We're very resourceful. Uh, so we all kind of started our own businesses when we were really little. <laughs> that was definitely encouraged. My dad is very entrepreneurial. My first business that I can remember, well, I like lemonade stands and stuff, but I also started a little jewelry business. I, so, I think I sold like two bracelets and I was in middle school and then I moved on to greeting cards and that was when I was like 14 and just kept making stuff and trying to <laughs> hustle my wares <laughs> in random places. So when did you start um, painting? Was watercolors your first like love or did you start drawing or tell me about your creative process in terms of art? So I think my first medium with art was probably crayon. <laughs> it's like everyone's start. <laughs> probably Play-Doh and then just like slowly getting more and more extravagant with things. Like I wouldn't just stop at like making a Play-Doh snake like my friends would. I would like turn it into a whole family of Play-Doh people. And then I would like, I definitely did some claymations where I like, I watched, I think it was Wallace and Gromit or some sort of claymation show. And I was like, this is, so cool that people get to play with Play-Doh for a living. I think it was actually clay. So I've just always loved to make things and it's funny even when I like, I am able to look at other people's art and really admire it and be like, wow, that's so cool. But then there's also part of me that's like, I wanna make that too. And I think what really stuck for me, the medium that really stuck for me was mostly drawing and then adding in watercolor. And I love watercolor because it's, it dries really quickly and it's very portable. It's not messy. It doesn't smell bad. It doesn't have any toxins that I know of. It's very versatile and can easily be added into something and totally change the way that a drawing looks. 
So that's kind of what I've stuck with throughout my life and just put a lot of hours into developing those skills. And, and I also do branch out to other things here and there, but I kind of keep coming back to watercolor. Can you tell me about um, how you built up your business now? Because I know that you sell your work, you've partnered with a lot of different organizations, and you've also started teaching classes. Mm-hmm. So when did all that start? And just tell me how you started to grow that business. I think I actually started growing my business when I was 14, when I came up with my very first greeting card line, which was actually 1920s flappers. They're totally different from my style now. but. Uh, That was the first time that I had that experience of packaging a product, coming up with like a slogan and a brand name and like I came up with some sort of little logo and and then watching somebody buy my work for the first time. I remember overhearing a couple ladies at this little Christmas bazaar talking about one of the flapper cards that I'd made and they were just like, oh, this will be perfect for this person. And I was like, just so shocked that this person that didn't know me was buying my art to give to a friend and it wasn't because they felt bad for me because I was 14 they really liked it and I think it made me realize that I could make things that I liked that other people would be excited about too and so since then I have just like little by little spread the word throughout high school I did home portrait commissions and like characters of ladies in my church that they would pay me for they were like ten dollars a piece or something and pet portraits and all sorts of stuff and then throughout college I took on a couple freelance jobs most of them were logos and branding but I'd always throw in some sort of like hand-drawn thing to make it feel like it was my style And then uh, about two years after I graduated from college is when I decided to try my darndest to be a full-time artist and it worked out. So that was about four years ago, almost four years ago that I started doing it full-time and I wasn't sure if it would last. I just decided like, I'll give it six months or so. I had a little tiny bit of savings, but enough to make it work and it was very slow going in the beginning. It started with like an Etsy shop that didn't get a lot of hits and commissioned work uh, that was pretty regular, but it was like really low paying jobs. And then just kind of saved every penny and stuck with it. And things have slowly built up to feel like a really, a career that I can, I don't have to worry about. I feel really like confident that even as things change, as like marketing methods change and taste changes, style changes, that I'll be able to adapt and keep keep doing it because I really love it. My very first artist residency, and I've done a handful of them now, was with Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and that was in June of 2018. And that was a super pivotal time, and it was actually really cool because two days ago I went back to the park. It was the first time since that residency that I'd been there and I was reflecting on how that experience was just so huge and because it was right before I decided to go full-time it was the month I quit my job as a um, AmeriCorps Vista you know designer graphic designer doing communications work and I did the residency and then after that I went home and I did it full-time So that residency gave me about five weeks in the park. I lived in ranger housing and I got to go exploring and do a lot of solo hikes and meet 
park rangers who taught me some things about local flora and fauna and then I painted what I saw and I shared it with people and made a little series of fine art prints with the work that I made while I was there and that was the first time that like a large number of people saw my work and seemed to resonate with it because I had the opportunity to share what I was up to on the social media page mm -hmm. for the park and that was just really validating to know that like I love I love painting things in nature and I love going out and finding my own subjects to paint and all these other people resonate with those same subjects as well but maybe they don't have the painting skills to paint it themselves but they they also love that flower or whatever it is and so they were really excited to see my interpretation of it and yeah it was just a hugely impactful time I also taught my first nature illustration workshop there to some park rangers and interns and when I came home I started teaching more workshops like that because I felt like it was a it was a skill that I could share with others that then they could go out and you know paint what they see too. And then the Smithsonian internship well it started out as an internship uh, and that was around the same time that I did that residency and Actually, I saw that it was this virtual internship that was listed and they wanted, they wanted somebody, they wanted a group of students or recent graduates to collect stories of people that are involved in ginseng conservation in the Appalachian region specifically. Uh, and also like storytelling surrounding it and folklore and all of that. So I talked about it with my sister, Clara, and we were like, Maybe we could be like the, the bridge between what the stories that are collected and then the public. We applied and we got it and that was really cool. We got to meet some different people in, in our own community in West Virginia and then beyond who grew up harvesting ginseng and selling it or conserving it and educating about it. And it was just a really fun way to meet people that we wouldn't otherwise have gotten to know. A lot of them were older people that we don't really have too much in common with anymore, but it was this automatic sense of like camaraderie that we're all interested in this same plant. And so we were able to produce, I think over the past couple years, because we continued to work with Smithsonian after that, uh, after the internship ended, they asked us to come on as contractors to continue making a few more videos for the website and we worked with them for a couple more years and we made maybe six or eight videos. How did those two experiences, since they're both kind of rooted in Appalachia, did they resonate with you in a special way or help you understand part of yourself better or your communities better? Yeah, I think so. I think that especially I think the most profound conversation was with a guy who lived in my county, still lives in my county, in the northern panhandle of West Virginia, who has made most of his living from trapping and foraging and um, hunting. He's just like a wild man and he's still there, he's still alive. And I kind of thought that that was a thing that had completely fallen by the wayside. I didn't know that people were actually still doing that. and. And also in that part of the state, because it's kind of close to Pittsburgh, it's about an hour from Pittsburgh. Um, it's still rural, but it's not like the heart of the mountains. Um, 
And so it was cool to know that even people in that area were living off the land. What are some things that you tell your students? Do you focus on like observing your environment differently or, you know, what's one thing that you have found has helped people significantly in terms of approaching nature from an artist's perspective? I think one of the lessons that I try to convey with my workshops is that you don't need to always be going elsewhere to look for inspiration or to be always looking for like super impressive aspects of nature in order to be inspired and in order to create something really cool that's inspired by nature. So for a lot of my workshops we focus on kind of the ordinary things and we look at them in different ways so sometimes we'll start out with a circle and then we'll look really closely at a small object that we find on a nature walk and zoom in on that texture and then just only paint or draw the texture and it could be something really ordinary like a pine cone but like when you look at it at a really close-up scale it suddenly looks really interesting and unique and then I think one of the most important messages that I try to communicate is that you can find beauty and you can find contentment wherever you are as long as you have your eyes open to it and you don't have a lot of preconceived expectations of the outdoors. You just go into it with an open mind and knowing that if you look closely enough at anything you can find something interesting there. Have you gotten feedback from people? Have these classes or your um, you know, way of inspiring people, has that enabled them to experience their landscapes in different ways? Yeah, I actually released um, a video, like pre-recorded class in March of 2020. I'd been working on it for a few months and just happened to have it finished right as the pandemic was getting started. And especially during those, the first like six months after I started teaching on Skillshare, which is like a video platform for sharing skills. <laughs> Uh, and it was a nature painting class. So many people said that it helped them to like experience little moments of joy even when they were like limited to their own little tiny neighborhood or their own yard. Like they couldn't go travel places or go on their big hikes that normally make them really happy. So I think it was really just kind of serendipitous timing because it seemed to really impact a lot of people and that was also the class that reached the most people around the world and so tons of people were sending me their projects and it was just like this it became this whole like painted catalog of just things that people saw in their immediate surroundings and liked and that was so rewarding to me too and it helped me get through the pandemic too because I kept seeing just people kind of falling in love with their local surroundings. I think that starting to teach the skills that I have been uh, learning my whole life helped me to gain more of an appreciation for being a beginner because I teach a lot of people who are middle-aged or elderly and they don't feel comfortable or confident at all with their art skills. And so I think I've just like gained empathy for that feeling and I've also tried to become a, a beginner again in other activities like playing the fiddle and rock climbing have been two things that I've picked up in the past couple of years and I feel like I got a late start with both of them because a lot of people that are really good at those things have started when they were really young and so I feel that like insecurity a lot 
and like sometimes I feel like why am I even trying because I'm never gonna be like great and I think it's sometimes nice to remember that you don't need to be great at everything and sometimes there's a lot of joy in just like playing the same silly like basic bluegrass song over and over again and uh, just knowing that like it doesn't really matter that much and so I think I've tried to when I teach, I try to help the people that really want to get good at watercolor. Um, I teach them a little bit differently from people that want to pursue nature journaling or something like that because it's one thing, yeah, if you want to really focus in on getting good with painting, that's uh, an awesome goal, but it's not like you need to to enjoy art. You can also be a casual artist. You can get out a sketchbook every two months and sketch a moth that you saw. It can be just another activity that brings you joy. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said for just going through a creative process. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of reward in just taking yourself through those steps. That's mm -hmm. great. Can we switch over to talking about your book projects, specifically what you're working on now? So the reason that I'm in North Carolina right now is because I'm working on a new book, which is focusing on the tiny plants, animals, and fungi that can be found throughout the Appalachian mountain range. So the full range goes from, well, there are a few different definitions of it, but uh, a lot of people agree that it goes from northern Alabama to Newfoundland in Canada. And so over the next six months, and we're about three and a half weeks in, my husband and I, we're traveling from south to north and spending a month in six different home bases along the Appalachian mountain range. And I'm doing a lot of day hikes to see what I can find and I'm just trying to have that really open mindset like I try to teach I'm trying to just go out and expose myself to new environments and see what I can find see what piques my curiosity I'm taking really good reference photos of those things and then I'm coming back and working from my photos and sketches to create really detailed uh, watercolor illustrations that are zoomed in versions of what I, the tiny things that I saw in the woods. And so the book is kind of a, if you imagine what it would be like to be a snail and you're like exploring the woods as a snail and everything that we see as being really tiny is like big and amazing. Uh, it's kind of like trying to get you into that world of awe for the small things. We've been here about three and a half weeks and when we first got here, we wanted to kind of have the experience start in northern Alabama, where the mountains start. So we went to Talladega National Forest for a weekend and camped there and hiked through the, I think it's called the Chiha Wilderness. I think that's how you say it. Uh, and then we have also gone to Great Smoky Mountains National Park and northern Georgia to Brasstown Wilderness. And I've hiked several sections of the Bartram Trail, which is a really awesome local trail here that I didn't know about before coming here. And I popped on the Appalachian Trail and hiked up to uh, Siler Bald and so many hikes. Yesterday, I don't even know where I went, but I went with a local botanist and I forget, I was just like kind of following him, so I don't know where we were. I need, need to ask him where we actually went, but it was near Silva. And uh, he took me out and we looked for tiny worlds in a vertical bog, which is like 
a bog that's growing on the side of a waterfall or another like seepy, rocky area. Been all over the place, I would say, probably most days I've gone on a hike since I've been here, which is such a luxury. <laughs> I really enjoyed hiking in Talladega National Forest in Alabama, and I think part of the reason that I loved it so much is because I just hadn't really heard about Alabama as being a place that has a lot of natural beauty and the forest there is so big. I mean, as far as you could see from some of those high points, it was all forest. And I just really like how, I think in Appalachian, part of the reason that I'm doing this book is that like the word doesn't spread very far about these really awesome places. Um, and people kind of dismiss a lot of the states in the Appalachian region as just being like, oh, they're behind the times and West Virginia too. And so I feel that connection to places that, yeah, people don't really think of as being really beautiful and worth preserving and celebrating. So it's really cool to stumble upon them. Awesome. What kinds of things have you discovered in this part of Appalachia that maybe you weren't familiar with in terms of tiny worlds? Was there you know, a, a particular species or a plant that surprised you? I think the biggest surprise uh, to me was the green anole, which is a little tiny lizard that is apparently in this whole southeastern area. They look like chameleons, but they're not. But they do the same color-changing show. And I saw one in Alabama, and I watched it go from brown to green because it ate a beetle and they change colors when their mood is affected or when they're trying to conserve heat because the temperature is it's too cold so that was really cool because i was just taking pictures and videos of this little brown lizard and i thought to myself as i was taking the pictures like wow this lizard is posing for me this is super cool i wish it was a different color because it'd be more fun to paint Literally, as soon as I thought that, a beetle walked by, it pounced, it ate the beetle, and immediately got super happy and turned green. <laughs> and I was shocked, and it was so cool. And so that's one of, I, I think the day after I came back from that hike, I started working on a painting of it with the before and the after, because that was just a really cool surprise. Is there text in addition to the paintings? Are you talking about the species? Are you focusing on like the areas where you found them? Are you talking about like conservation messages? Mm -hmm. What's the, what's like the other theme of the book besides yeah. the tiny worlds? So the, the book is illustration focused. So every page has a huge, like very detailed, colorful painting. But then I also have text on every page that kind of talks about in first person what that encounter was like because I want to kind of bring people into the world of into my world of stumbling upon these things and feeling just the, the same enthusiasm that I felt when I saw them so I kind of like set the scene with my words and talk about the weather that day or things that I was hearing or maybe what I was expecting to find or what I was looking for that day and then describing the the encounter with the plant or the animal and talking a little bit about sounds that I heard that they made or things that I noticed about their behavior. And then I'm also including bits and pieces of things that I've learned after I saw it when I went back and researched it in my field guides or online or asked someone that's really knowledgeable about the subject. Where are your other, what, five stops? Mm -hmm. So on, I believe, Sunday, we will head to 
the Shenandoah area of Virginia to, um, it's near George Washington National Forest and also the southern entrance to Shenandoah National Park. So it's a really cool little location. There's a lot, a lot of jumping off points there too. After that, we will head up to uh, south central Pennsylvania and it's a little Appalachian trail town. So the trail goes right through there. A lot of the towns that we chose are really close to the Appalachian Trail because the trail follows a lot of the like high point ridge lines and so we wanted to be as close to the peaks as we could be to get that full experience and uh, yeah so it'll be south central Pennsylvania there are just a few state forests around there it's a pretty developed area but I am curious I always like a good challenge and it seems like that spot there's not as much just like endless forest it'll take some like of me really going out and being intentional about finding things there. After that, we'll be in the White Mountains of New Hampshire and then Maine near Baxter State Park and then Quebec in um, the Notre Dame Mountains. And then there's uh, Newfoundland is our last stop for the month of September and we'll be on the west coast in uh, Gross Morne area. Very exciting. Yeah. It's going to be quite the changes too as the seasons go on. Definitely, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's been cool starting out with really early spring here and just having like, like when we first got here, there were only just a few things popping up and it's kind of nice for me to just be able to focus on a few things and really see the everything just come alive while I'm paying really close attention to everything. When do you plan to have the like book project finished and like submitted for publication? It has to be finished this winter. So okay. I'll have a few months when I get back from the trip to do uh, illustrations that I wasn't able to get done on the road and finish writing and do fact checking and all of that. And then it will come out in 2024. I would really like to have a traveling art show once the book is out. I think it'd be cool to do like a book talk and like book signing. Also my sister is helping me make a little short film about the project so we could do a little screening and then also have a pop-up art show in a few different places around the Appalachian Mountains. Do you think that you'll keep with nature illustrations in the near future? Do you have other things up your sleeve? I think so. I feel, I feel like because a big part of my job now is going out and just being in nature and it's so life-giving for me. It's like, I, I just can't imagine anything better for myself. I really love it. I love the combination of getting to be creative and getting to be outside. And I think I can foresee myself maybe just an idea that I've been thinking about is I think it would be fun in the next few years to maybe create some sort of like small brand or something around helping people unplug. And um, so even when they're not necessarily outdoors, they could do a puzzle that has my art on it. That's something that I love to do because I love puzzles or um, yeah, just making other products that help people to be still and enjoy being with loved ones. So maybe maybe illustrating a nature board game or something like that. I'm always seeing seeing projects that other people are doing and I just think it'd be really fun to, to do them myself, like I said before. Well, how awesome that you were able to find this at such a young age for an artist. Yeah, yeah. 
I, it's funny because I feel like I've like, I've been working towards this since I was really little. And so people are like, oh, you're so young. And I'm like, I, this has been my career for 20 years. <laughs> That's how it feels to me because I've been doing it so long. What does art give you as a person? I think that the creative process is just honestly the perfect combination of challenging and fun. <laughs> like I, there's just something so rewarding about coming up with an idea and then going through that hard, hard part. Like right now I'm, I'm enjoying this trip immensely, but it's also really hard to be producing so many paintings. Like I'm, my goal is to have a hundred different species represented in the book and each, each one takes a couple days at least. So it's like so many hours of painting and it's hard to stick with it, but I know I can do it. And then the rewarding part that comes when you get to like hold that physical thing that you made and and also just seeing other people enjoy it and I really hope that especially with this upcoming book I'm trying to make it something that families will really enjoy together so it's not a kid's book but it's something that anybody of any age could pick up and feel like it's kind of made for them uh, that's one of my goals awesome. And what's something that you would share with anyone who wants to pursue a creative craft or um, different type of art? What's, what's something that you would share with them that's been helpful to you as you've grown through this process? I think that something that's been really meaningful for me, especially as someone living in a rural state, has been to put a lot of effort into connecting with other creative people in your area, even if you live in the mountains and the closest other artist that's doing it full time is a couple hours away. You can still email them and ask to talk to them on the phone. And that's something that I really did a lot when I was just starting out. I would say between the ages of like 22 and 24, I was always just like trying to find people that I really admired that were in a similar situation. They weren't living in a big city somewhere where there are a ton of opportunities. They were living in West Virginia. Um, and I would just reach out to them and ask them if they had any advice or if they wanted to meet up and take a walk or get coffee or something. Just trying to create a community because it's not going to happen on its own. And people aren't just going to automatically know that you're trying to make it as an artist. You kind of have to put yourself out there and tell people this is what you want to do and they'll help you out. And they'll be so excited that you're pursuing what you want to do. And uh, and it's, yeah, it's really cool now for me to be able to give back a little bit with, um, if I like get projects that come my way that I can't take on, like right now I'm not taking on other projects because my book project is taking up so much time. So I'm able to pass along that work to younger artists and especially West Virginia artists. I have like a whole network of West Virginia artists that I, I love like helping out because I was helped out so much. That's awesome, that's awesome. And I ask most people this, but do you consider yourself Appalachian? And if so, what does that identity mean mm -hmm. to you? I do consider myself Appalachian. Uh, I think that it's something that I didn't really care about until maybe, maybe college. And I think that's when I started to really appreciate 
the fact that I grew up on a farm. Before that, I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know anything else. So I was just like, oh, this is fine. I live on a hill in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but then I realized, like, that's, it's pretty special to have that access to nature and to have parents that chop their own firewood and make their own food and grow their own stuff. And it's something that I definitely want to pass along. I'd love to do a lot of the things that my parents did and that my grandparents did. And I think it's really cool that there are other young people. I've been meeting more and more young people as I'm like, you know, traveling around Appalachia more. There are a lot of other people that want that too. And it's cool to see some of my friends getting their own little homesteads now and like, they're just doing it. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Great. And most importantly, if people want to follow your adventure throughout Appalachia, how do they do that and where can they find your work? Well, I would recommend going to my website, which is just my first and last name.com, so rosaliehazlett.com. And uh, I have a very lovely newsletter. <laughs> I've been putting a lot of work into it. I have been really enjoying being able to just kind of write like a long form letter to people that care about my work in the form of a a newsletter so I send out two of those a month with updates on the trip and I also making a monthly video that kind of recaps where I've been and what I've seen on the trip and what I'm painting and those are a lot of fun so I just finished up my first one today and uh, yeah so definitely subscribe to my newsletter I'm also on social media too well, thank you so much for listening. We really enjoyed sitting down with Rosalie and learning more about her work. She is well on her way into her journey and has since departed Franklin, but we've been following her experience through social media and on her newsletter, and I highly recommend that you do the same. We'll have her website linked onto our podcast blog post. To find that, you can just go to www.foxfire.org. Uh, if you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, there'll be a series of blog posts and it should be the first one on the left. If not, you can always navigate through our menu to our podcast page as well. We'll have some images uploaded of Rosalie and her beautiful artwork. And again, I just highly recommend that you either sign up for her newsletter or check out our website to make sure that you can um, get alerts on when that book will be ready because it's certainly going to be an, an awesome thing to explore. Again, we are releasing this podcast as part of our Native Plant Week. So if you are in the area and by the museum, I highly recommend you stop by and check out all of the cool activities we have going on. You can find a full list of activities on our website. Again, that's www.foxfire.org. And you can just navigate to our events page. If you love Foxfire as much as we do, please like, subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, help us get out to new listeners. That, that all goes back towards our mission of preserving and promoting Southern Appalachian history. And please consider a membership. We have all kinds of different membership levels that will suit your needs and interests with Foxfire, including a digital membership that opens you up to an entire archive of digitized magazines, uh, special YouTube playlists with archival content from the 1970s, all kinds of cool stuff. And then our regular memberships cover admission for individuals, couples, families of all sizes to our museum, as well as discounts on special events and other great material. As always, we thank you so much for your support of our mission, preserving and promoting Appalachian history and educational outreach in our community. We'll be back next month with some more great content, and we look forward to talking to you then. Take care.
lock that, you can throw it away. I lock it. <laughs>